Hey, my name's Matt Kennedy, and this is the Steadfast Podcast. This podcast exists to use Bible study and theological teaching to encourage you to be steadfast in your faith. Thank you for taking time out of your day to check out the Steadfast Podcast. I hope today's episode is an encouragement to you. This week, we're going to finish up chapter six and the sermon Jesus has been delivering. We began with some symmetrical blessings and woes that covered riches and righteousness and our reputation. We then moved to a radical love that really ought to be a marker for the follower of Jesus. Today, we only have 13 verses left to finish the sermon, but Jesus gives us a lot to chew on in those 13 verses. So without further introduction, let's go. Let's dive in, starting in verse 37. Quote, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. End quote. Those words, judge not, and you will not be judged, are probably some of the most well-known words in the whole Bible. And it's often taken to the extreme of meaning we should make no judgments regarding morality or anything else in any circumstance, right? They'll say, Jesus said, judge not. So you cannot judge me or whatever I choose to do in my life. And in our culture, judging is probably seen as one of the worst possible things you can do, right? How could you possibly not affirm or fully accept someone's lifestyle or someone's choices? I mean, you do you, right? For people like that, they find great peace and solace in hearing Jesus saying, judge not, and you will not be judged. But if one considers the whole of Jesus' teachings, and the whole of Scripture, really, saying no judgments under any circumstances doesn't quite seem to fit. It's like a puzzle piece that doesn't belong in the puzzle. So maybe, just maybe, we're not quite understanding this phrase right. So here's going to be a lesson in Greek for the two or three of you who are interested. We have a couple words we often use to talk about judging. So the first Greek word is krino. It's the normal word to judge or to determine something. This would be the word to distinguish right from wrong, normal moral judgments. That's krino. Then there is katechizo, which appears to be two words grafted together. Our first word, kata, which is usually translated as according to, but it also holds the idea of authority. Think of like a higher place of authority speaking to someone below them. So it often pops up when you have an angel who's speaking from a higher place of authority, and they are delivering a message or an order to a human, which is the lower place, right? Or the Lord, who's obviously a higher place of authority, communicating to someone, maybe in a dream, a lower place, right? So you have the higher going to the lower. Then you also have the word decay in there. Not like something is decaying in your refrigerator. But decay, which is a legal judgment, usually more like a condemnation, okay? So if you put it together, you have a condemnation coming from a higher place to a lower place. So is Jesus saying we can't make judgments as in crino or catechizo? Considering how much time I spent going through this and how much I have struggled with these words, you can probably guess crino is not the right answer. It is actually catechizo. Differentiating these two Greek words might sound meaningless to some people. Might sound like I'm splitting a hair or just trying to be too technical with this, but I'll tell you why the difference is important. And I'll do so in a way that's not quite as eloquent as Greek words, but hopefully it's clear. 
So Jesus is telling us to basically get off our high horse, right? Stop judging in a way that sounds like you've got it all figured out. Stop judging in a way like all your ducks are in a row when they're not. Yes, say what's right, say what's wrong, but don't you dare act like you're the authority here. Only God himself is the authority. We defer to him and his word. So we can't act like we're something special with this, like we're using this to say, hey, I'm at a higher place than you are, or I have higher authority than you are, or I'm talking down to you in this judgment. No, that's not what he wants us to do at all. Since we're all stumbling through this life, perhaps getting a lot more wrong than we'd care to admit, let's be generous with our judgments. Let's give the benefit of the doubt to people. For the Lord knows we all need to be granted the benefit of the doubt. I know I do. I tell people all the time, I get more things wrong than I get right. So as I'm stumbling and falling and messing up as many things as I humanly can, the benefit of the doubt goes a long way. Jesus also tells us don't condemn, which we can't divorce from the last sentence we just read. He says, don't condemn, be quick to forgive, and be generous with what we give. All this comes from the same place. Perhaps Jesus is teaching us that right posture of our heart should be one of grace towards other people, one of generosity towards other people, whether that be in our judgments, our forgiveness, or in or what we give them. Consider that in contrast to a culture that is so quick to accuse, so quick to criticize, so quick to assume the worst. We've got too many folks out here getting rich, stoking the flames of outrage. Too many people that don't really care about the whole truth, they just want to frame stuff in a way to make their opponents look awful and to make as many people mad at their targets as possible. For the follower of Christ, it is by grace you have been saved, so it is grace we ought to give to other people. Look, one thing that I know that is true about my God is that He delights in showing mercy. So the question is, if I am, as I am commanded to in Ephesians 5.1 that says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. If I am attempting to imitate my God, then shouldn't I delight in showing mercy? Whether that be in the way that I judge or in the way that I offer forgiveness, or in the way that I give what I have. Let's delight in showing mercy. Let's not be the people who want to stoke the flames of outrage. Let's not be those false guides. And speaking of false guides that are these loud voices that clang out there in our culture, let's go to verse 39. Quote, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. End quote. So can a blind man lead a blind man? If they're both blind, then neither fella actually knows what's ahead of them or where they're going. While they're both physically blind here, one man carries an extra degree of blindness for he does not know that his guide is blind. He thinks his guide is leading him somewhere good. He has no idea that his guide is in the same boat as he is. So what's the outcome? An unfortunate dive into a pit. There are way too many voices in our world that scream, this is the way. Many will even try to use the words of Jesus to convince you, but Satan did that in the wilderness, didn't he? But if those voices lack the grace we saw in verses 37 and 38, or those voices don't even try to love like Jesus was teaching us in the previous section we talked about last week. we got to recognize that something is fishy here. The blind might just be claiming to see. Verse 40 tells us that when a follower is fully trained, he will be just like his teacher. Now that's either a terrifying warning, or it is a beautiful promise. And both of those things could be wrapped up in one little verse. 
Listen, it could be a terrifying warning because think of the voices you could be following in this world. Think of the influencers you could be influenced by. Think of the people who say this is the way who you could be following that you could be becoming like. To become fully trained in their way would be much like the blind man being led by the blind man who fell in the pit. And I'm afraid the pit could actually be best case scenario. But if we flip it to the positive side, it could also be a beautiful promise because if we are following Jesus, and that means to be like Jesus is our chief goal, to think there's a day where we could be like Jesus, and that is a through-the-roof beautiful promise for us to cling to. We may not always get things right, but there's grace for that. But to think that one day when we reach that glorification in heaven, we will be like Jesus, that is a beautiful hope. And as a side note, if you're like, what in the world does this joker mean by glorification? I would like to refer you back to our Theology Explainer episode on salvation. Thanks for checking it out. Now on to verses 41 and 42. Quote, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. End quote. The image Jesus uses here is almost silly to think about. So allow your brain to see this almost like a cartoon. You got this guy, minding his own business. He's got a little speck in his eye. It's an irritation, but not the end of the world, right? Then you got this other joker. He just walks up. He's got a straight up two by four protruding from his eye. He needs some surgery to happen. But instead of going to the hospital and getting the surgery that he needs, he stops and looks at this guy with horror at the speck that is in his eye. And he says, hey man, you've got something in your eye there. You should get that looked at. I mean, how ridiculous. Clearly, the two by four that would definitely need surgery is a bigger deal than the speck. Jesus is using such a silly picture to show us how ridiculous hypocrisy is. Now, in ancient times, actors could be called hypocrites, though it it meant something a little bit different. So they were called hypocrites because they were literally wearing masks pretending to be someone else. So for them, a hypocrite was someone behind a mask pretending to be something they were not. Today, hypocrites are not on the stage. They might not have a literal mask, but aren't they pretending to be something they're not? Listen, one of the best ways for us to have that generous and gracious heart towards other people is to be willing to self-evaluate honestly. Let me ask you this, and I don't want you to answer. I can't hear you if you did anyways, but marinate on this. Are you ready to marinate? Got your barbecue sauce out? Which do I care about more? Do I care more about pointing out the flaws and sins of other people? Or do I care more about practicing repentance in my own life? Now, there's an obvious church answer to that question, right? There's an obvious like, oh, of course I care more about repentance. But here's the thing. Do you, does your life, do your words, do your actions reflect that you care more about your own repentance than you do about pointing out the flaws and sins of other people? And I know some will say, hey, those two things are not mutually exclusive. But what seems to be true most often is that instead of doing the hard work of repentance, and repentance is hard work, guys, it's not easy to turn away from stuff that we enjoy doing. But instead of doing the hard work of repentance in our lives so that we can follow Jesus just a little bit closer, that we can be a little bit more like him, often we take the easy way out. To make ourselves feel more righteous or like we're better Christians, we choose to critique other people. We choose to point out their flaws so we don't have to worry about our own. We choose to elevate ourselves by pointing out and pushing down other people. 
Do you know who else does that? Bullies do that. Bullies make themselves feel better by pushing others down. My friends, that is not the way of Jesus. You can describe Jesus in so many ways, but a bully is not one of them. Listen, of course, when we've repented of that two by four in our eye, Jesus says, then we will see more clearly to help our friend. When our stuff is dealt with, our motivations are so much more improved and so much more pure, but we've got to make sure that our house is in order before we start flinging mud all over the place, okay? We've got to make sure that our life is following Jesus before we start pointing out the shortcomings of other people. We've got to make sure that our motivations are not to push them down, but that our motivations are to pull them up. And I think if we're really honest, we can get to our real motivations pretty quickly. Let's move on to verse 43. Quote, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. End quote. To anyone who says, well, you can't really know the heart, I'm going to say they may find themselves at a point of disagreement with Jesus. Jesus is telling us that our heart determines the type of tree we are. If we are truly in Christ, if we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us and have put in place a regular rhythm of repentance, our fruit will be good, meaning our words will be good, our actions will be good. Our lives will reflect what is in our hearts. But if we are not in Christ, if we do not have the Holy Spirit, if we are not practicing repentance, then our fruit will show that just the same. In other words, our actions and our words reveal what's on the inside. Sure, you can fake it for a while. You can cover it up for a bit. But at some point, who you are will be revealed. You can't keep up the charade forever. Please don't lose sight that this is all in the same sermon. Our vision of someone's fruit can and will be skewed if we don't make our vision clear. Remember, our own practice, our own rhythm of repentance is what gives us clear vision to see. We need to be fully understanding that we are in just as much need of grace as everybody else. So let us be generous with our judgments. Let us be diligent in our self-evaluation and repentance. And when we do that, we can be honest about what we see. Jesus is telling us from our heart comes the fruit of our actions, the fruit of our words, the fruit that is made obvious in our lives. Let's just make sure we are seeing that clearly. Now, Jesus is going to move to the close of the sermon. Now, this benediction is going to be for everything he's covered in the sermon, right? Remember, we had the symmetrical blessings and the woes that covered riches, righteousness, and reputation. And we also had the radical nature of love that ought to be the marker for every single Christ follower. And since then, we've been talking about living a life that is marked by grace and generosity towards other people that is marked by a regular practice of repentance, of evaluating ourselves and seeing what in my life is out of step with Jesus, and then removing that two by four. It don't matter if we got one two by four, if we got 50, it is one by one practicing a rhythm of repentance to be more like Jesus. Now we're bringing this to a close. We're bringing the whole sermon to an end, and Jesus has this to say, quote, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you. 
Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built, end quote. The verses I just read will be the first of two options he's going to give us. And this first option is the one who hears the words he has to say, and they obey his word. They let the word be a solid foundation in their life like a solid rock. That way, everything they build on the rock will be secure. It will be protected. That means every part of our life will have something to stand on, God's word. That means every part of our life will be affected and influenced by his word. You see, the Word gives people eyes to see. When the storms of life come, the storms don't tell what the truth is. They know the truth about God so that they can handle the storm. Too many people base their beliefs on what they have experienced, and that is terrible theology. Letting the storms tell us who God is and what God is like is the definition of instability, for the definition will always change. Jesus is telling us His words are an opportunity for us to get rooted in the truth. So when the storms come, we'll stand. Storms, hardships, and trials are all a part of life, and sometimes they happen all at once. And the question is, are we going to be rooted in the Word so that we can stand? But remember, He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not know what I tell you? So it's not just about hearing the words that he says. It's not just about reading the words that he has said. It's about doing them. It's about practicing life in the way the maker of life designed it to go. It is about pursuing Jesus with all that we have so that we know the heart of our Savior even more. So that the storms or the flood, they've got nothing on us because we have built our life so close to Jesus. Verse 49, quote, But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. End quote. So the first option that he gave us about what to do with his words are to not just hear them, but obey him, build our life on him, right? He's leaving us with a choice. And with this second option, to hear and reject, Jesus calls this person foolish. Now, no one sets out to be foolish, right? Like, I'm going to say very few people wake up in the morning like, hey, I want to be dumb today. I want to mess up some part of my life. Usually when we're being dumb, we think we're being smart. That's the profound content you come for, I'm sure. Usually we think we're doing something good. You see, in a lot of the ministry of Jesus, he teaches around this region of Galilee. And the most prominent geological feature of this area was the Sea of Galilee. Now, the sand that made up the shore that encircled that sea was quite deceptive. You see, there were certain months of the year where the sand was just extra baked, right? Like it was hard, hard as a rock. At least that's how it appeared. But as the summer months come to a close, the heat goes down a bit and the sand would soften. And anyone who's ever been to a beach can tell you that soft sand is unstable. You can choose to build your life on anything you want to. And for a time, that thing you chose may appear to be stable. It may look steady. But as time goes by, but unless what you have chosen to build your life on is Jesus Christ, as time goes by, 
anything else will lose its stability. I want you to see that the floods came against both houses. No matter what you build on, the storms will come, the floods will come to tear it down. Only one foundation can stay strong. Where do you want to be when the storms come, when the floodwaters rise? As Jesus closes his sermon, he's telling us, you can get ready for the storms of life. You can be prepared. This is an invitation to build our lives on the words of Jesus, that he knows what he's talking about, that the maker of life knows what leads to abundant life. He's saying, receive this invitation, follow me, and you will be ready for whatever life throws at you. Thanks for listening to the Steadfast Podcast. I want to remind you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote this, quote, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, end quote. So in light of biblical truth, let us be steadfast, immovable. Let us remember that through Jesus, not one labor is in vain, not one trial is in vain, not one effort in all of our lives is in vain. Because He gives purpose, and that purpose rings through eternity. That's all I've got for you today. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you've got questions you would like answered, you can email me at matt at steadfastpodcast.com.